Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And speaking of embracing life, everyone loves to get lost in a thrilling tale of intrigue and suspense, and few writers can claim to keep millions of us up at night, actually 150 million of us, eagerly turning pages like best-selling author David Baldacci. David has just added another book to his already impressive list. It is destined to be another bestseller. It's called Daylight, and he's joining us today to share all about it. So welcome, David. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. It was mentioning being back. I had a chance to chat with you earlier, and I was kind of bragging or just letting loose that uh, I have had the pleasure of interviewing you a number of times. And, of course, uh, I, like your many or your millions of fans, uh, appreciate your talent, your success, the way you keep us on the edge of the seats. But I was thinking when I was cre- asking myself what I wanted to check in with you today about, uh, you come up with these amazing and varied uh, protections and put them in all these diabolical situations. And I'm wondering if you've ever had a brain scan, David, because you must have a heck of a party going on in there. <laughs> I, I think I've been, I'm, I'm afraid to have it scanned, what they might find up there, so I just kind of keep it on the down low. <laughs> well, I'm thinking that, you know, you might blow up the machine or something, or, or they might immediately cart you off somewhere. But uh, I just had to ask you that because it's just astounding to me how you do that. But anyway, we will go on to this latest, as I'd mentioned, soon-to-be bestseller. Congratulations on giving us another fright ride, and you've brought back one of my favorites, Atlee Pine. So let's start out by you telling us a little bit about her, her backstory, and how this leads to the twists and turns in daylight. So she, Adley Pine is an FBI special agent, and she works out near the Grand Canyon in Arizona. That's her bailiwick. She's, you know, she's the only agent out there, and she likes it that way. She doesn't like big organizations or bureaucracy. She likes to work alone. She had a, a seminal tragedy in her life when she was six years old. Her twin sister, Mercy Pine, was kidnapped from their house in Georgia when they were little girls, and the kidnapper almost killed Pine in the process. And ever since then, you know, nobody's not knew what happened to Mercy Pine, and it destroyed Pine's family. Her parents divorced and disappeared. She has no idea where they are, and this left a void in her life. And so she became an FBI agent, I think, one because. She wanted to be able to give justice to other people. The same justice was denied to her and denied to her twin sister. And then things came came to a head um, with her uh, a number of years later where her personal side was impinging on her professional side and sort of the torturous feelings she had about not knowing and not having closure about mercy really impacted her professional life, and the FBI gave her an ultimatum because she did something really bad. And they said, look, figure out your personal side. We'll give you some time off. If you can't figure it out, then you have no future at the FBI, so get it done. So now her goal is to find out what happened to Mercy Pine and finally and for all time have closure on that. And daylight opens with her running into one of my other series characters, John Puller, who's an Army CID agent. And the reason that happens is that Pine is in New Jersey uh, trying to find a guy who might be the grandson of the man who kidnapped her sister and almost killed Pine. 
John Puller is looking at this guy for another reason. He's running a drug operation out of Fort Dix, uh, which is an army installation in New Jersey, and so that's why Puller is involved. So they, you know, they join forces, and so Pine helps him with his investigation, and Puller helps her trying to find her sister, and that really is. And the title of the book says it all: it's daylight, because in this book, a lot of things are revealed, not only about really what happened to Mercy Pine, but really shines a light on. Uh, Adley Pine's past, and a lot of things she took for granted, a lot of things she thought were true about her past, turns out to be total fabrications. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad that you, I mean, you, because it's a lot to describe in a, in a brief amount of time, but it, it does bring back, you know, that uh, really when you're creating these characters, you do give each one of them, and I'm talking about this book and others, such unique and creative and, you know, intricate backgrounds. Uh, do you get, like, your, you know, inspiration from news articles, or do you just dream about them, or do you just sit down and it comes out? How do you do that, David? Yeah, it's really all of the above. I think I think being aware of what's going on in life, being curious, wanting information, wanting to know facts and knowledge, I think is a big part of being a writer. Uh, so you amass that, and I think the more you know, the more interesting plots you can come up with. Secondly, I think you just have to be an observer. You have to want to be curious about life. I'm very curious about people. I like to watch them. I like to eavesdrop and hear what they're talking about. I like to see how they interact with people. I love visiting new places, you know, just a geographic area. For instance, the Grand Canyon. I went there a few years ago. I was so overwhelmed by the place that I decided to set the first Atley Pine book there, Long Road to Mercy, because it was such a mysterious place with so many nooks and crannies that no human being had ever set foot on. Um, so sometimes a geographic atmosphere or place can really be the creative spur behind the story. Um, so I like to travel, um, but a lot of it is just sitting down, really, and just daydreaming and coming up with possibilities of what is. If you allow your imagination just to run wild, which I, I like to do that a lot, because I never it always surprises me. You know, I always think of something that I never thought I possibly could. And that's because you sort of never lose that kid-like, you know, vision of life. Like, just let throw everything else out there, you know, and just let your imagination run like you're seven years old again and see where it leads you. And oftentimes it leads me to a great place. Yeah, absolutely. And then, too, another thing is that you brought back, again, a, a character from one of your early books, John. You just mentioned him. Uh, did you think from the beginning he would be part of this story, or does he just pop up and appear as you're, as you're writing and thinking, what if? Well, I had laid sort of a little Easter egg about John Puller back in A Minute to Midnight, which is the book um, that predeceased this one, that preceded this one. And um, in it, I said that Adley Pond had met John Puller and worked with him. He was a mentor and a great agent. They worked on a combined uh, investigation way back. So I knew with that little foreshadowing that I had the potential that if I wanted to bring Puller back, and I would have laid the groundwork for it. And it just worked out well because I knew that Pond was going to be heading up to New Jersey. Fort Dix is a big military installation there. It really seemed plausible that the guy that she would be looking for would be working there. And then all of a sudden, that was a great tie-in for John Puller. So it all worked out. I wasn't certain when I wrote that one line in A Minute at Midnight that Puller was going to appear in this book, but certainly laid the groundwork for it if I decided to do it. Well, and I and in some of the <clears throat> earlier interviews that I've had with you, I've asked you again because I'm so fascinated by your process. You don't write outlines, right? No, I don't. I, I just feel constricted by outlines, and I feel like, for me at least, they're a little bit of a waste of time because I've, I've tried outlines before, and I look up on the big whiteboard and all that, and then when I'm actually writing the novel, none of it seems to work. The outline, none of it seems to work, and 
So I just kind of chuck that and let it grow organically. I mean, I do many, many little outlines of various plot points and chapters as I'm moving forward to make sure all the plot points that I want are included in there. But I love immersing myself in the trenches and the story. I was telling another interview today, it's kind of like the difference between you know, diagramming a battle plan during a war and then actually fighting that battle in the trenches. It's always going to be different. No plan you come up with could conceivably cover every type of eventuality. And for me, it's kind of like, do I write a book telling somebody how to drive a car or do I drive the car? And describe what it feels like. <laughs> you know, well, you're so driving I, that I car, and it's quite a successful car, I have to say. <laughs> but I, I also think, too, especially because you are known for, again, shock, well, shocking is one word, but surprising, I guess, or, well, thrilling your readers. So you have to, like, plant these little seeds, and then you have to throw us off base, and then you have to have it all come to, you know, conclusion or fruition at the end. So that has to be hard to keep in your head, too, isn't it? Or not for you? You just kind of know how you're going to do that. Well, I think the key is that you immerse yourself in the story. And I think when you do that, all the details are there, you know, within grasp. And you're not, you're not reaching for something because you're living in the moment. And I think that's really important. I, you know, I compare it to if, if you're – you're studying film and game plans for, you know, if you want to play a football game in the NFL, um, and you're immersed in that world, every every detail, every nuance. And then when you're out, actually out there playing, it's a little bit easier to play because you've gone through, you're, you're living in that world, and you live in that moment. Every detail is within your grasp. You know the tendency, the other side, you know the coverages they're going to play, you know how they're going to run the ball or pass the ball, you know, you know to check the quarterback's eyes, you know which way to go based on that. So preparation is a big key to it, but then living in the moment. So people say, how do you keep track of all these characters and all that? I said, it's yeah. because I'm living that story in the moment. And I said, you wouldn't forget your kids' names, right? Well, maybe you would because you, you want to because you're so mad at them. But <laughs> right. for the most part, would you forget your kids' names? Like, no, because I, I'm with them every day. And, I, and it's the same answer for me. Yes, well, I'm with the story every day. Wow. Well, thank you for spending some time explaining that to me, David. I will never get there, but it's a real delight to observe it from a distance, that talent that you've got. The other thing I want to mention is, of course, you're known for you know developing these characters and, again, their rich backgrounds, but you're also known for being able to write about your female characters with great uh, you know, skill and ability, and I believe that you have a household of women around. Do you ever turn to them to ask them, gee, you know, what do you think Atlee would do? in this situation or help with the dialogue or anything? No, absolutely. You know, I have, I've had my wife um, read uh, a lot of the Atlantic Pine series. My daughter has as well. Um, I, but the, the thing that works best for me is that I grew up surrounded by strong, independent women, both my grandmothers, my mother, my sister, my wife now, my daughter that we raised together. And I've observed that all my life, you know, as a little kid to a young man to a man in middle age. <clears throat> and it's, I, I feel like I'm a good student of human nature and I've been surrounded by women my whole life. And I feel like I can write from her perspective just because I've experienced it, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly all the way through. And uh, that that's why I said when a writer needs to really be a curious about life and be an observer. I really mean that. I'm not just throwing that as a cliche. You have to be a student of life. You want to write about it. Because when I write a fiction, when I write a novel, what am I writing about? I'm writing about life as authentic as I possibly can make it. 
yes, I'm writing about exciting things and things that may not happen to everybody in their lives, but I am writing about human beings going through emotional moments in time. So I have to understand that. And how do I understand that? Well, I have lived through those periods of time. I've lived with people who've gone through those types of emotional trauma. And so I draw upon those experiences to try to build an authentic facsimile of that in my novels. Wow, and I do want to say uh, we only have a couple minutes left, and in addition to, again, your wonderful talents and your success, you're a great guy, David. I know you and your wife, Michelle, have really devoted a lot of time, your energy, your focus to your foundation, so tell us a little bit about that, please. So we founded it about 20 years ago, and our mission statement is very simple, to eradicate illiteracy. And it's never more important than right now because the foundation you build your life upon is really based upon education and upon the ability to read at a high level. If you don't have those two things, you're never going to be able to reach your maximum goal personally or economically. And so many of the social ills we have today, poverty and crime and injustice, are based upon the fact that so many people read at far below normal levels. If we could get everybody up to a certain level, so many of those social ills would go away. Um, So our purpose is to help people, to empower people, to make themselves sustainable and to break out of these generational cycles of poverty because people have not had the educational opportunities other people have had. Um, and because of that, their life, their life you know, vision is limited. And um, what we need to do is reconstitute that into opportunity for everybody. And the, the Wish You All Foundation, we have one of our busiest years. We gave out probably more money than we've ever given out any year because the need is so great, particularly with COVID everywhere, people losing their jobs. People who can least afford to lose their jobs, least afford to lose their health care, are now in, in terrible situations. So the need is out there. And I've always felt that, you know, you really prove your worth not in good times but in bad times. And in bad times, you can't run away from an issue. You have to confront it head on, even stronger than in good times. And that's what we've tried to do this year. Well, that is remarkable, David. And as one of the citizens of our country, thank you for providing that that service and that much-needed support to people, as you say, who who are the least to be able to afford some of the the realities that COVID has provided us. Uh, We've got less than a minute left, but I have to ask you one last question. Do you have any new novels to expect coming out soon? Yeah, so in April you'll see the sequel to One Good Deed, Aloysius Archer, my 1940s nine gumshoe, will be uh, going to the West Coast in California in 1949, try to become a bona fide private investigator, and he gets in all sorts of trouble there. So that's done, and it's called A Gambling Man, and that'll be out in April. And I'm working right now on the fourth installment of the Atley Pine series that continues her story about, you know, Atley Pine and her sister Mercy. And in that novel, you know, whatever what happened to Mercy will be totally wrapped up, and people will, will understand and then Pine will finally have closure. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't wait for some closure. And thank you for all those openings and fright nights and scary scary events <laughs> you helped me figure out in my own brain. What a delight to speak with you, David. Thank you so much. Thank you. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, and I, really, for you listeners out there, I don't have to share about how important his work is, but please pick up a copy of Daylight. You're going to love it, and we're going to find out more about Atlee Pine. It's a real page-turner. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.